Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hey there, Cove Church. It is great to be with you today. Uh, if we've not met, my name is Brandon. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors on staff. Our pastor, uh, again, if you're brand new, our pastor, Pastor Aaron, and uh, Pastor Paula, his wife, are on sabbatical. And so uh, we want to make a practice, uh, if we can, maybe not every Sunday, but as many Sundays as we can, as many weekends as we can, as often as we can, that we would pray for them while they're on this very brief, short 90-day uh, sabbatical. So let's let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for our pastors, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Paula. Uh, we declare your great grace, your great rest, your vision, um, your clarity over their lives. Uh, they're a gift to us. And God, would you bring them back to us full of your spirit? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So again, welcome to you. It is, it is great to have you. Our theme that we just launched last week, so if you're kind of parachuting in, again, if you're brand new, uh, you've come at a good time. We just launched our summer theme, which is this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In fact, let's say it together on your screen on the count of three. One, two, three, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James 1, 22. So we launch this week, we launch into uh, one of the books of the Bible that we're going to be studying this summer, Galatians. And uh, before we set up Galatians, I have a couple of questions for you. Number one, have you ever had your character impugned unjustly for no reason? Just maliciously uh, someone tore at the fabric of uh, who you are, your character. Question number two, have you ever uh, established a project, maybe established a business, maybe established your reputation or your reputation and your business in the community only to have someone come along and undo what you so painstakingly established? They subverted your work, maybe knowingly, maybe unknowingly. They sabotaged your work. Uh, Joy and I, uh, several years ago when we were in Vancouver, we had uh, this home. It was built in the 1970s. And so in the time that we lived there, we just spent kind of year after year doing our best to improve this home. And one of the projects one year uh, during the summer was a bunch of concrete work, uh, sidewalk work and walkway work out front, poured a lot of concrete. And uh, they came early one morning and uh, they move pretty fast. Professionals move pretty quick. And they were just kind of, they were, they were done pouring the concrete they were essentially uh, babysitting it until it set up and they could do the finished work. So I went to work. When I came home, I, I, as I pulled into the neighborhood, I saw my front yard was full of caution tape. And it, and it kind of scared me a bit. I didn't know what had happened. Well, our neighbor across the, uh, the cul-de-sac was an old retired concrete worker. And he drug all of his stakes, all of his caution tape, and just staked out our entire front yard uh, and, and put up all this caution tape tape to protect uh, the concrete because he knew how much that cost us and he knows how valuable the concrete was. And he didn't want, uh, you know, the mailman or neighbors or friends walking in our freshly poured concrete. How frustrating is it, friends, when we uh, uh, produce, you know, we, we establish some work or we establish a project, we get it done and someone comes in behind and begins to walk in our freshly poured concrete. So Galatians, 
Uh, Galatians was written by a guy named uh, Paul. We know him today as the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with your Bible and some of the characters in the Bible, the Apostle Paul certainly was a character. He hated Christians, and so maybe you've spent part of your life hating Christians. Uh, Paul would be your guy. What's interesting is he actually became one. <laughs> he tried to single-handedly kind of uh, uh, stomp out the idea of Jesus and Christianity altogether, but then became a Christ follower and started planting churches around the Mediterranean Rim and establishing the gospel. Uh, it's believed that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia around 48 or 49 AD, which would make it one of his earliest letters, if not the earliest. It's an explosive letter. In fact, we would say it this way. It's personal, it's passionate, and it's polemical if you need an, an alliteration. It's profoundly personal, and because of that, uh, Paul is passionate and he's argumentative. He's polemical in the letter. It's one that, uh, as we'll discover, kind of these 149 verses that make up the book of Galatians, uh, it is no nonsense, and for good reason. In 1517, the letter was uh, used to really launch the Reformation. As Luther read it, he discovered or maybe rediscovered for himself and essentially the, the rest of us this idea of justification by faith, which is kind of the chassis of the book of Galatians. Luther jokingly referred to the book of Galatians as his wife because he spent so much time in the letter. It's been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. Uh, it's been called the cornerstone of the Reformation. And Paul wrote it, not necessarily to one single church, but to a group of churches in, in what we would call the region of Galatia or uh, in, in modern day South Central Turkey. So uh, on the screen is a picture of Paul's first missionary journey, and you'll see cities like Antioch and Iconium, Derby. These are the these are the churches likely through which this letter was circulated. So why did the Apostle Paul write the book of Galatians? What happened is there were some Jewish uh, teachers and leaders who began to walk through the Apostle Paul's freshly poured concrete that he had established in these churches in the region of Galatia. And their argument went like this. Yes, Jesus Christ, but, but Paul, I mean, really, who, who is the Apostle Paul? He calls himself an apostle, but you know, it's not like he knew Jesus or really walked with Jesus. And not only that, but the gospel that he's preaching, yes, it's true, but he's missing a few things. He's missing, you know, of course, some dietary laws and, and, and especially circumcision, which was kind of the mark of belonging to God. It's the one thing that kind of separated us uh, and separates us from all other nations. And Paul, this guy, Paul is missing all of that. And so church, here, here's, here was the, the dilemma. These brand new Christ followers, many of them Gentiles who kind of served the gods, were busy trying to appease the gods, were, were ready or on, on the precipice of abandoning their newfound freedom in, in Christ for trying to appease and add up to God just a different way. So they, they spent a lifetime appeasing the pantheon of Roman gods and they were ready to begin to do, to try to add up in the eyes of the Christian God based on the teaching of these Jewish leaders who were coming in behind the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul catches wind of this and, and frankly, he, he flips his lid. He goes crazy. He can't get to them soon enough, so he sits down, uh, which would have been his preference. He would have liked to have kind of sat down eye to eye, knee to knee, but he sits down and he writes 
this piercing, passionate letter to the churches. Interestingly enough, in uh, Acts 15, Acts 16, there's something known as the Jerusalem Council that essentially settles the argument that the Apostle Paul is addressing here in the book of Galatians, and that is the idea of circumcision especially, but anything that we would add to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, anything that we would add to justification by faith. Pastor Brandon, why do you bring this up? Because what's interesting is the Apostle Paul does not address the Jerusalem Council in uh, his letter to the Galatians. And, and if Galatians was written afterwards, he would have probably referenced, like he would have said, listen, this was already addressed at the Jerusalem Council, which tells us it was prob maybe before the Jerusalem Council. So it would make it very early on in the Apostle Paul's ministry. Okay, let's dive in three sections. We're going to read the entire chapter. We're going to dissect, kind of diagram the entire first chapter of Galatians. We, we may not do this every week. We may pull out different sections. But this week, as we set up the letter, I think it's important that we walk through all of it. So section one on your screen, the true gospel, verses one through five, the apostle Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, underline that, that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Church, uh, in verse 1, why would the Apostle Paul need to establish his apostleship, his role as an apostle? The disciples, uh, I, I want to suggest this to you, the disciples held a very distinct, special role in Christian history. Why is that? Because they walked with Jesus. They knew Jesus. They traveled with Jesus, they received teaching directly from the mouth of Jesus. And it's most likely that a huge part of, of the message of the argument from these, these teachers who were coming in behind the Apostle Paul is, Paul never walked with Jesus. How can we really trust him? He wasn't one of the 12. And so this is known, this has become known in Christian history as apostolic succession. Uh, the, the, in fact, there are many denominations today that would take this very seriously, they would, they would trace their authority all the way back kind of in lineage, spiritual lineage to Jesus. So let me, let me illustrate it this way. On your screen is maybe a picture of uh, apostolic succession, and you'll see kind of the big head honcho, the big cheese is Jesus. Well, let's move a few generations away from Jesus. We find a guy in church history, his name is Irenaeus, and his teaching held weight because in a previous generation, uh, he was mentored by a guy named Polycarp, and Polycarp's teachings held weight because he was mentored by a guy named John, and John's teachings held weight because he was mentored by a guy named Jesus. And so Irenaeus could, uh, in apostolic succession, uh, could trace his lineage back to the teaching of Jesus. Now, who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe Irenaeus or some other person who can't trace their lineage and their teaching, their authority, back to Jesus? Let me give you another example. Uh, in uh, uh, 1939, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died. He was martyred for his faith, and uh, he, he began to... Um, you know, push back against Hitler and Nazi Germany, and uh, they, they killed him for it. 
Uh, he had a, a childhood friend and a, and a, Beth, a best friend named um, Everhart Bethke, who wrote a, a tiny little 1,000-page biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, let's say that a guy named Brandenburg comes along and uh, writes a similar biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer with some of the, you know, similar details, but a few other kind of random stories that are different than the one that Bethke wrote. Whose are you going to believe? I'll give you a hint. It's not Brandon. You're going to believe the guy who was actually best friends with uh, and, and had friendship and communion with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And friends, listen, there are, there are, again, there are entire denominations who stand uh, on this idea of apostolic succession. The Catholic Church, for instance, would trace their lineage back to the Apostle Peter, and that carries weight because Peter walked with Jesus. In fact, as recently as the 18th century, John Wesley said this, we believe it would not be right for us to administer either baptism or the Lord's Supper. He's talking about the sacraments, unless we had a commission to do so from those bishops whom we apprehend to be in succession from the apostles. And so Paul's understanding, early understanding of this idea of authority being established by tying your teaching back to a direct communion with Jesus is what is maybe in the forefront of his mind. Now, what's our application? What's the application for us today? Well, number one, just understanding the idea of apostolic succession, I think is important, but how about this? Jesus is alive today. Just like he was alive, he had died, uh, was resurrected and had ascended in Paul's lifetime, but he was alive and met the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Jesus is alive today. That's number one. Number two, we're all his kids. We're not some distant relatives. Romans 8, 15, and 16. Number three, he speaks not just through mentorship and succession, if you will, but he speaks to us personally. There's a story of um, Pastor Duane that he has shared often in this church. When he was 12 years old, the Spirit of God began to speak to him as he's reading the Bible. And as a 12-year-old kid, he was amazed at the wisdom that was uh, framing in his mind. God was speaking to him directly. The Apostle Paul goes on, verse 4, he says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us or rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He gave himself for us. Friends, why do we put such a premium on generosity here at Cove Church? Because at the core of the gospel and at the core of the nature of Jesus Christ is this idea of generosity, a God who loved so much that he gave his life. He gave himself for us. This would be known today as, as atonement theology or substitutionary atonement, that God substituted himself to atone for our sins. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned. We've all missed the mark, if you will. And a few chapters later, Romans 6.23 says this. There's a payment for that. The wages or the payment for sin is death. And friends, without any hellfire and brimstone, Really, it comes down to two choices. We can either choose to try to, you know, pay that debt on our own. You know, I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I'm going to choose to pay that debt on my own. That, the Bible says the payment for that is death. It's eternal separation from God. Or we can choose to accept that which is already done, that which is already accomplished, that Jesus accomplished on 
the cross. And Luther said this, these are the very thunderclaps of heaven against all kinds of self-righteousness. Anything, any self-righteousness that would say, I can do it on my own, I don't need Jesus. And when we accept his gift of grace, his free gift of salvation, we move from death to life. I had you underline that phrase delivered us or that word is rescue in the Greek, it's exiro. It actually means to gouge or to take out or to tear out. This is the rescue that Paul is talking about. It's not some passive liberation. This rescue is one that means business. I want you to think about the cross, the bloody cross of Jesus Christ. Have you ever watched someone maybe reality TV in a life and death situation, all decorum goes out the window, right? When we're trying to rescue someone. Matthew 5, 29, if your eye causes you to sin, exiro, tear it out, rescue it. Rescue yourself from that sin. Acts seven thirty four. when Stephen was describing the exodus out of Egypt, he used that word exiro that God um, gouged or took out or tore away the children of Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. 45 years ago this weekend, July 4th, 1976, an operation, a rescue operation took place known as uh, Operation Antibi or Operation Thunderbolt. Uh, there were a group of seven pro-Palestinian terrorists that hijacked uh, a plane bound from Tel Aviv to Paris and they took it to a small town in Tibi uh, in Africa, a town in Uganda. In fact, uh, the then uh, dictator Idi Amin welcomed, if you will, these uh, hostages to his airport. The, the IDF, or the Israeli Defense Force, in conjunction with the Israeli Mossad, kind of their intelligence agency, planned for a week. They took a week to plan this rescue mission. So 248 souls on board, they released what, 148 non-Israeli hostages, and they kept 106. It was one of the most daring rescue missions in human history. They were 100 commandos. They were in and out in 90 minutes with 102 souls. They lost four, and I think another one died in the hospital later on. Again, one of the most daring, successful, daring rescues in human history. And the cross, Pastor Brandon, what's the point? The cross of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul would point to as this rescue mission, this exiro, this tearing away from sin and death. He then says, according to the will of our God and Father. Cove Church, one, one of the most widely misunderstood um, ideas about God has to do with the Trinity, that, that, um, that God the Father is angry, that Jesus is a really good guy, and the Holy Spirit's weird, we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit, or somewhere between the Old Testament, because there's some really hard things. It seems like the anger of God is, is more prevalent in the Old Testament. Somewhere between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God like had a personality change. He turned into a good guy. We have to be careful with this, church. We do believe in the threeness of God, but we also believe in the oneness of God. And the cornerstone, I believe, of all solid theology is the goodness of God. As soon as we lose the handle on the goodness of God, our theology goes sideways. For God, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, according to the will of God, our God and Father. God loves us. 
Section number two. I believe this is Paul's thesis, verses six through ten. Normally at this point, the Apostle Paul would, uh, you know, talk about how much he, you know, loved the church and was praying for them and was proud of them. But he bypasses all of that. He goes right to his thesis and he says this, I marvel, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Look at verse eight, underline it. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be a curse. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, and he repeats it. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what, what you have received, let him be a curse. For I, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Church, the, the Apostle Paul goes right to it. He says, listen, I am, I am astonished. That word, I marvel. I am astonished that you would be ready to abandon your newfound freedom in Christ or that you would try to add anything to the gospel of grace. I'm astonished. I want to zero in on verse eight because the apostle Paul essentially takes all of his chips and he pushes them to the center of the table and he draws a line in the sand and I love how he does it. He says, listen, even if I were to come along behind myself, <laughs> And, and begin to preach some other gospel than what I originally preached to you, which is justification by faith alone. It's belief in the work that's already done in Jesus Christ. If I preach any other gospel than what I've already preached, just don't pay, just say the old man is out of his mind. Church, have you ever, have you ever done this, especially spouses, you know, tuning in, uh, where you say to your spouse, listen, if I ever get to that point, you know, if I ever, sweetheart, if I ever start doing that, just <laughs> please just send me away. Don't pay any mind to me. And then he says this, if anyone does that, let them be a curse. Translation, God damn them. God damn anyone who would come in behind and preach some of the gospel than what I've already established with you that I learned from Jesus Christ himself. Why, church, why would Paul be so passionate about this? Why would Paul call down damnation and cursing on those who would preach some other gospel? Because nothing less than the core of the gospel is at stake. Friends, we can spend a lot of time as Christ followers, you know, majoring on the minors and the church has, and we've lost a lot of credibility. You know, you, you, for instance, you, we could talk about where to spend money or what songs to sing, or you might think that I need to preach in a tie and I might disagree with you. We're still both going to heaven. You're barely going to heaven. You, you might slip in, you know, you'd be off to the side where it's a little warmer over here, but we're still going to heaven. It's a, it's kind of an in-house debate. But this, the Apostle Paul saying, listen, this is not up for debate. God damn anyone who would try to preach something else like these teachers who have come in behind me. And finally, the last section. Called to be, called to the divine gospel. The Apostle Paul says this, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which I preached, uh, that was preached by me, is not according to man. It's not man-made, it's a divine gospel, in other words. Verse 12, for I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, he establishes his apostolic succession right back to Jesus. 
For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. Look at verse 15. But when it pleased God, underline it, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Not concerning the things which I write to you indeed before God, I do not lie. And he finishes up this way. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were uh, hearing only who formerly, this is what they heard, who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me again. What is Paul saying? He, he establishes that he received this gospel directly from Jesus. It came directly from God, which qualifies him solidly as an apostle. But it also ratifies his gospel as the divine gospel, not some human gospel. Paul then reminds them of his former conduct, how he persecuted the church. He tried to destroy it. Friends, listen, it, it, we could make the case that the apostle Paul was a essentially a first century terrorist. You know, if I were to flash images of Nazi Germany or, you know, maybe of, um, uh, of ISIS and, and beheadings, we would all have a, a visceral response. And so when people in the first century heard uh, the Apostle Paul's name, they had a similar visceral response. Likewise, when they heard that he's now a Christ follower, he's one of them, he's preaching the gospel and establishing churches, they rejoiced. And here's where I want to end today. Cove Church, here's where I want to end. This powerful little phrase situated right in the middle of this last section, but when it pleased God. Several groups of people may be tuning in today, maybe for those needing to turn your life over to Christ for the very first time. You sense the timing is now, but when it pleased God. Another group, maybe for those waiting on God, kind of holding on to God, waiting on God to move. You're wrestling and you're waiting. You're trying to embrace and you're waiting for God to move. You're waiting on God's timing. There's a Old Testament book called Habakkuk. And, and then that word, that name Habakkuk means waiting and embracing. And isn't that a picture of the, of the Christian journey where we're holding on to Jesus for dear life, right? And we're waiting for him to move. We're waiting for him to answer. We're embracing him and we're waiting. What's interesting about the book of Habakkuk is it ends really without resolution. We're still hanging on in the story. We're waiting for God's timing when it pleased God to move. And maybe finally, there's another group of people. You sense, even as I've been preaching and you're listening to Paul's words here in Galatians, you sense a weight being lifted that you've spent a lifetime trying to do and to add up in God's eyes. And you're hearing maybe for the first time or in fresh new ways, a gospel that is not about do, it's a gospel about done. Maybe we would say it this way. The gospel is this, it's Jesus plus zero equals the true gospel. In Cove Church, what is the gospel? 
That, that word in the original language means good news. Well, Pastor Brandon, what is the good news? The Apostle Paul, the same Apostle Paul, he wrote to another church, the church at Corinth. I believe it's in the 15th chapter here. He says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. In other words, uh, we're redeemed. Uh, we have been redeemed. Uh, we're being redeemed and one day will be redeemed. He says this, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, which I also received. And here it is, colon. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament scriptures. What the prophets said about Jesus. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, again, in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, uh, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul says. The gospel is this, if you've um, uh, never read Timothy Keller. So, so the apostle Paul would say this, the gospel is this, it's Jesus Christ. He suffered he died, he was buried, and he rose again. Why is that good news? Because who did he do it for? He did it for you. He did it for me. Well, why would he do that? Because of his great love for you. He rescued you. Timothy Keller would divine, uh, define the gospel this way, and we've quoted this many times, but for those of you who are new or our guest. The gospel is this, Pastor Timothy Keller would say, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Pastor Brandon, how, do, how does Pastor Timothy Keller know that? How do we know that? The cross of Jesus Christ stands for, it's an enduring reminder of God's great love and rescue of our souls. Let's pray together, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you that this ancient letter has been pres preserved for us today. God, we, um, we're, th we're thankful that, that Paul took on the challenge. We're thankful for the passion. We're, we're, we're thankful that, that the Apostle Paul drew a line in the sand because nothing less than the gospel itself was at stake. And so, Lord, maybe those tuning in. In fact, Cove Church, um, for those of you who would say, you know, Brandon, but when it pleased God, God's timing is now for my life. I want to cross the line of faith. I think down in kind of the, the lower right-hand part of your screen, there's, there's a, a button that says, I want to raise my hand to accept Jesus Christ. If that's you, we would, we would love to just know that, number one. And number two, we would love to just pray with you uh, via you know, our online platform. We have some pastors standing by who would love to pray with you. Let me, let me lead you in this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I sense your timing is now that I would cross the line of faith because it pleased you that I would hear this message today. I've spent my life trying to add up some way, but I thank you for your free gift of salvation. I receive it, can't do it on my own. Would you forgive me? Would you be Lord of my life? In Jesus' name.
Amen. Bless you, Cove Church. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at Cove Church PNW. We'll see you next time.